spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Aloha Friday. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and you are watching Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And this morning, we are shining the spotlight on our teachers. That's right. We are joined by Osa Tui Jr. He, of course, is the president of the Hawaii State Teachers Association. And teachers uh, recently have been voicing their concerns about COVID safety in schools. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Kakariaka. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about uh, the rallies that we saw and what teachers are concerned about right now. So we've continued to have issues with how the school year has begun. Unfortunately, well, last school year when we started, we had what was called a memorandum of understanding because we knew that there would be changes in working conditions. Well, this year has turned out to be even more stressful and difficult for teachers, and there are definitely changes in working conditions again. And we've just wanted to sit down with the superintendent and hammer out some details that we can both agree to, that we can abide by and follow in a memorandum of understanding. Uh, they have not been willing to do that, unfortunately, this year. Uh, as the school year began, we're going to be all open. Uh, and then we know what happened with the Delta variant uh, causing a lot of chaos. Uh, if we had something in place, we would have been able to work out some of these things. For instance, quarantining. Right now, there is nothing in the books to say what has to happen when the quarantine happens. And so sometimes uh, a teacher would not even be involved in the process and they might see one student in their class get quarantined. They might see three students. They might see their whole class and they don't know why. And also why is, why is there that disparity? Uh, when students get quarantined, do we have time? Do teachers, are teachers given time to create packets? or to create work for those students who have to be maybe be out for 10 days, uh, or is it something that has to be demanded right away? Those are the kinds of things we would just wanna work out so that we can all follow, uh, but that the state has been unwilling to. And so uh, we filed what were called class grievances, grievances on behalf of all teachers in the state of Hawaii, that there are issues we wanna address. Uh, a grievance is something spelled out in our contract, uh, spelled out in all public sector unit contracts that provides a process. And so when we submitted that grievance to the department, basically they said the, uh, the governor has said that chapter 89, which is Hawaii's collective bargaining law has been suspended. So we don't have to talk to you, I'll see you later. So the next part of the grievance process is then to go and ask for arbitration. Arbitration would be to have someone sit down, hear the facts, look at both sides and make a determination. Once again, the department said, no, we're not interested in being involved or engaged in that process, too bad, so sad. And so that has pushed us now to the next step in the process, which is, I did say unfortunate that we've had to go this route, but we have had to go to the Hawaii Labor Relations Board and file what's called a prohibited practice complaint. Basically, the constitution allows for this type of uh, working on working conditions and changes uh, and to bargain for those. And the, the State Department of Education and 
is saying, no, we're going to ignore the Constitution. Uh, we're going to ignore everything that's in the contract, and we're just going to say, too bad. And what we want to meet about is health and safety. And the governor's proclamation is about health and safety. And so we've seen this before. We've done this before. When we started the 2020-21 school year, we knew that there were going to be changes in working conditions. We went to the labor board then, and the labor board said, DOE, you need to sit down with HSTA and work something out. Uh, and so we're hopeful that the labor board will continue to have that stance with regards to working things out on labor conditions. And just to clarify, so are you saying that there is no protocol in place for these quarantine periods for children that may be testing positive and forcing individuals or teachers and other classmates to go into quarantine? Because from what we've heard in, in our conversations with officials is that there is something in place. Uh, if you can speak to that about what that process looks like and if there is nothing in place, what do you think would be uh, something that you would be advocating for? Uh, gladly, I'll talk about it. Uh, and ultimately, it is about the students and making sure that our students are taken care of. Uh, we just found out yesterday that the department had put together a work group of 20 principals. And those principals couldn't even come to consensus as to what to do with regards to a quarantining protocol that could be utilized statewide. And then the, the superintendent did not provide any feedback. So even the principals uh, couldn't come to a consensus. And so the department has no stance on it. And so once again, it is school by school. And we have parents who are concerned that at one, they might have children at multiple schools. And at one school, something is happening with their child. And at another school, nothing's happening with their child. And it's the same situation. And so that, you know, we have a statewide school system for a reason and it's not being utilized. And there's a, a number of issues like substituting. When people are out or, you know, there is a lack of substitutes. There absolutely is a lack of substitutes. And we've said this, uh, the department maintains that there, there are over 3000 substitutes on the substitute list and we only need 1200 a day at most. But that really sweeps under the rug, the fact that most of the substitutes are retired teachers or others who are not willing to come back into the classroom as it exists right now. And there's been shortages. You know, our students are missing out because they don't have a teacher. and multiple classes sometimes will have to be put into a cafeteria or an auditorium watched over and basically babysat by a security guard or something like that uh, some of our classes we're pulling out counselors we're pulling out a specialist who work with our neediest and most vulnerable students who are maybe english language learners or special needs students they're being pulled out and, and asked to watch over these classes as well those are changing working conditions you know, we could work something out, have some agreement as to how this gets done. They just want to implement it unilaterally without without any consultation. And that's part of the problem. So I'm, I'm just curious. Let's walk through what it looks like if a student has a positive case, let's say. Um, is it at the discretion of the of the sort of the complex, uh, the head of the complex, or how does that work? How if it's school by school, is it up to each principal? How are they deciding what to do? And and are you know are people being put at risk if it varies school to school? You know our administrators are in a very tough spot, and they're working their best to do what they can to to make sure their schools are safe. And sometimes uh, some are more safe than others. So let's just say. Uh, what they're now saying is that, well, if the student is positive, uh, they were in school during the infectious period, then we will we will consult with teachers. So they're saying that there's no agreement, they're just verbalizing it, but if they don't uh, follow that, 
then it's nothing we can do about it. Uh, and so the teacher needs to be involved because before that they were just saying, give me your seating chart. Oh, look at the seating chart. Okay, it looks like these three students were sitting next to that kid. All right, we're good. We're just gonna quarantine those people. No, no questions of the teachers as to is this, you know, one of those Kolohe students that's always walking around, walking around class, or is it one of the better students who just sits there? Uh, are they always wearing their masks? You know, well, many of our kids, many of our adults, unfortunately, don't always wear their masks properly. And those are the kinds of things we want to be involved with to make sure that our classrooms are as safe as possible for all of our students. And, you know, what we've heard in the past is that there have been an effort in the schools, especially to create these bubbles of cohorts of students that would essentially be around each other at all times, uh, thus limiting the overall exposure because the students are confined to these groups or cohorts. Uh, is that really happening? Uh, are, are students really staying in these uh, bubbles? And, and talk about the overall exposure with these students being in schools. I mean, because uh, I imagine during recess, during lunch, during transition periods, before and after school, uh, it, it would be somewhat difficult, I imagine, to try to keep these children intact in this uh, confined bubble. Not only is it difficult, it's impossible. There is no way to do that. We have students who come onto campus maybe earlier. We can't control that they go sit with their friends. We can't control that they're sitting with friends during lunch. We can't control that they're going off campus with their friends after school. You've probably driven by schools after school and see kids congregating, which is something kids will do. Uh, and that's uh, just how it is. But the, the thought of an Ohana bubble in our public schools is not something that actually happens. You might have an elementary class might stick together during the class or during the day, but not when they go out, not when they're off on their own, not when they're coming to school on a bus, things like that. So I know you filed this grievance with the Labor Board. What happens now? What's the timeline for action or response? So the Hawaii Labor Relations Board had 10 days to act upon our prohibited practice complaint, and they have and they've set some dates down. November 24th is when we expect to have our hearing. Uh, we don't know that the department is going to file some type of hold on it or something like that. So uh, we'll wait and see. But November 24th is the day we're looking at uh, to have the Hawaii Labor Relations Board hear our case. Um, if for some reason they decide this time that they don't have jurisdiction or something has changed in their minds, then we may have to proceed on uh, to the next level, would be, which would be taking it to court. As things begin to reopen and we see these case numbers come down, uh, are you at all worried that the overall thought may be things are getting better and we, this doesn't really need our attention at this point in time? Uh, because as you can imagine, I think a lot of people are, there is somewhat COVID fatigue and, and we're seeing much better cases overall. Uh, do you, is this something that you guys will still continue to advocate for, uh, even though these case counts aren't maybe as high and as more children uh, are, are, have the option essentially to get the vaccine in the coming weeks? If anything, this is the time now to be acting upon it. Uh, we were complacent before, unfortunately. And when I say we, I mean the department. Uh, complacent about numbers coming down during the summer. And, you know, we're, everything's going to be good. No worries. We don't know that this is the end of the pandemic. We don't know if this is the middle of the pandemic. We may have years more of this to go. And that's why we want to make sure now that there's some breathing room, now that there's some time, just sit down with us, work this out. We don't have to go through all this trouble, all this new hop, right? We can just sit down and work something out. 
Um, you mentioned earlier about teacher shortages. Can you tell us the state of teacher shortages right now? How short are we and what is the impact that's having uh, on, on the students and also on, on the teachers that are still there? The shortage is uh, only getting worse. It, you know, you've heard it before the pandemic. We already had a teacher shortage crisis and now things are getting worse. We have seen numbers from the department that two years ago the school year to last school year, the number of retirements alone went up by 25%. And remember I said that this year, this school year is even more difficult and harder for our students than uh, for school communities than last year. And so what we're seeing now is teachers who would normally wait to the end of the semester, wait to the end of the year uh, to retire when they made their age. Now they're saying, I made age, well, even for example, my vice principal at my school, she turned whatever age she needed to be that she felt this month, today is her last day. She's not even waiting to the end of the semester. She's like, I've had it, I'm done, I'm, I'm going out. And that's what's happening all across the state. Teachers are just saying, I need to get out. Just I need to be like my retired friends who used to substitute for me. I just need to get away from all of this craziness right now. And really it is affecting our students when they don't have those qualified teachers in classes, they're not getting what they need. And this is a very critical time for all of those students. You know, as a head of this organization, as a head of HSCA, as you oversee not only what the conditions are like for teachers, but overall just the recruitment and just trying to make sure that teachers are getting what they deserve and are paid uh, fairly. As we talk about this issue of teacher shortage, how do you think, uh, what is the best way, I guess, to not only retain teachers, but create a uh, way in which this could be something that people would want to do, whether it be through recruitment opportunities? I mean, what do you think needs to change in order to change the fact that we're losing teachers at this rate? Yes, well, first of all, I will say the department is trying uh, new strategies to recruit teachers. They have set up a website, teachinhawaii.org, that they'll be releasing or they may have released already. Uh, but that's focused more on bringing in folks from the mainland. I think what we really need to do is make sure that our local students uh, have a pathway towards teaching. Teaching is a wonderful career. Uh, I enjoyed being a math teacher for many, many years. Uh, <laughs> you know, having my students call me, text me pictures of their newborn children, invite me to their weddings. You know, that's what really makes it uh, so heartwarming. But at the end of the day, when our teachers can't pay the bills, when they can't find housing, that, that, you know, that heartwarming doesn't get you through what you need. And really, we need to focus on making sure that we can recruit and retain, retain especially now, teachers into the profession. And we need local teachers. We need teachers who don't have somewhere else to go. You know, a lot of the time I, I say that this is the Aloha State because teachers come in and they're like, Aloha, I need to get out because, you know, I don't have, they don't have any roots here. And so that's why we need to make sure we, we recruit teachers that have roots here because they're not going to flee somewhere else. And then we have to make sure that they uh, have their needs met and that they want to stay. And so, you know, it's really hard for our students. Why do I want to become a teacher? Look how hard my teacher is working right now. Uh, and so we need to change that narrative to make sure that students can see that this is a profession that we desperately need our students in. And we have a lot of teacher academies throughout the state uh, that are doing their best at our high schools to, to help recruit teachers. 
I want to ask you a little bit about learning loss. We've seen some of the numbers out there just about uh, the big gaps that happened because of the pandemic. People who, you know, kids who were learning from home had such varied experiences. Some were really engaged and could learn in that way and others basically checked out and missed a year of school. What are you hearing from teachers on the ground about the effect of this learning loss and how long do they think it will take for our kids to catch up? Uh, as to how long it's going to take, it, it's really student by student. Just like you said, some of these students were good with it, uh, being distance learning, some were not. Same thing for uh, people getting to where we need them to be. Uh, students <laughs> come in with all different rates of, of learning and our teachers are professionals. And we just have to make sure that the professional teachers are allowed to do the work that they know how to do, that they're not hindered by other things a lot of times extra work is added onto teacher plates but right now this is not the time and we need to also make sure we focus on the social emotional well-being of our students uh, as well as our faculty and staff but our students really need it we're seeing uh, i'm hearing more about you know fights breaking out more often uh, teachers getting hurt because of, of fighting going on trying to break up these fights it's been uh, and we're we're it's a more polarized world now too and unfortunately, we're seeing that uh, manifest itself in our student interactions. And so there's a lot that needs to be done, a lot of investment that needs to be made to make sure that students can be brought to where they need to be uh, to be successful going forward. One of the things that the pandemic also highlighted was the need for distance and, and virtual learning, if you will. Can you give us a state of what that looks like right now? We know that uh, you know there is still that option for some schools and for some teachers, but what does that uh, look like in this current calendar year with distance learning? What is the, how many students are uh, receiving that, and what is the overall availability for those maybe who aren't comfortable with having their children in classrooms? Correct. So we saw at the beginning of the school year that the department was not ready to ramp up any type of program. The Board of Education then directed the Department of Education, you need to set something up and set it up fast because we had so many parents who are saying they want something. Uh, the department then did set up basically one grade level for the whole state, one teacher per grade level for the whole state. Uh, and they were only willing to hire teachers who were new uh, applying to be teachers. None of the teachers who last school year had done innovative things and great things. None of them were tapped or asked, hey, do you want to do our distance learning program? Great. Uh, and so uh, there are a couple hundred of stu students that are uh, engaged in distance learning. Sometimes the department was saying, well, there's nobody else who's requesting distance learning. But uh, when we began, it was like, well, sorry, there's no room left. Here's a list of schools that might be having a distance program that you could geographic exception to uh, if you want to. Uh, students try, uh, teachers try, parents tried, I should say, uh, and sometimes we're not successful. And so they were, I would say, bullied to try and get their students uh, to get their children to come back to school. And some parents just didn't feel safe. And so they went the homeschooling route. And unfortunately that takes students out of our system. Uh, and that's not, not anything good. I want to ask you, I know at the top of the, uh, the top of the broadcast, we talked uh, about the quarantine protocols. What about the safety measures that are happening in schools? Can you tell us about the cafeteria experience or mask compliance and, and those kinds of protocols? Do you feel like those are being followed? For the most part, when we look at, you know, the way that the virus has spread, schools have been pretty safe places. There was a there is a report in today's paper about a cluster at an Oahu school that did get pretty large. But 
you know, throughout this pandemic, it really hasn't been schools in the way that we had feared. Do you think that the safety measures that are happening right now are adequate? Our teachers and administrators are doing everything they can to keep students safe. It, it's difficult sometimes when you have a classroom of 30 with students sitting shoulder to shoulder. And you don't know if they're going to keep their mask on. So it, it, it's hard to say that, uh, I should say, yes, it's been good. You know, our students are doing everything they can to keep, well, our schools are doing everything they can. Sometimes they've modified their lunch schedule, for example. I know an elementary school where they have three separate lunches and then they sanitize between each lunch period. That's a lot of work. Uh, and especially more difficult given that, wonderfully so, our students all have access to free breakfast and free lunch this school year, no matter what. And so that's been great. Our teachers are doing everything they can in classroom, but they also report that uh, I'm having to be the police, the mask police all the time. So while you're trying to teach your lesson, it's like, Yunji, put your mask on. Ryan, put your mask on, right? And those kind of things just detract from the the, the lessons that are trying to be taught. Uh, but again, our schools are doing everything that they can. Uh, and we would hope that there's something in place that would keep schools accountable if they're not following rules. And that's essentially what we want, to make sure that schools are accountable uh, through a memorandum of understanding. One of the things mentioned about that elementary school is ventilation. We've been asking for ventilation information from the department for months and months. Finally, they came up with a, a list of schools that they claim were yes or no, but it was very basic. When we asked follow-up questions, no response. They have no response over and over and over again. So they've been very, I, I wouldn't say they've been very forthcoming with information sometimes. And that's something that's distressing as well. You know, when our, when our teachers here, there's no sub shortage when they see it with their own eyes. They begin to lose trust in what the department is saying. They begin to feel disrespected by the department. Uh, we don't want that. The department currently is seeking a new leader. Of course, there is an interim superintendent that is in place right now. If you can explain uh, how that relationship has been thus far with the interim superintendent and, and what are you looking for in a leader moving forward as teachers for the Department of Education, what type of leader are you looking for? And if you can uh, talk and expand more about the relationship you currently have with the interim superintendent. Well, we want to be able to be collaborative with the superintendent. We want to be able to work. Uh, one of the things we were able to collaborate on is our educator effectiveness system, which is basically our teacher evaluation system. Uh, this year, it was going to be crazy. How are you going to do all of this teacher evaluations, especially for administrators who are in the, you know, busy trying to do all the other things, trying to close contact identification and things like that. So we were able to collaborate uh, and get it so that teachers this year will have a pause for the most part. Or if you're an emergency hire and you're not even necessarily a teacher yet, you wouldn't be uh, subjected to that process. Things like that. We wanna make sure that there is collaboration, that there is teacher voice. Uh, one of the things, you know, and addressing issues. One of the things we were concerned about was even with the Board of Education in their last meeting, uh, they didn't have any type of status update on COVID in the schools. And that's something you would think that they would want to hear a status update every single meeting. Uh, and so we're hoping that, you know, the Board of Ed, the superintendent will just listen to what teachers have to say. We're shouting from the rooftops, you know, that there are things that need to be addressed. And absolutely, you know, Kids are coming to school, they're, they're safe, and that's because we're trying hard. But there are things that we could do, we could do better. We could make sure that students who are 
need those special services are getting those special services uh, rather than those teachers being pulled out to do other things. There's a lot of things we can do. Uh, we hope the superintendent would just sit down with us. That's what we've been hoping for all along. You know, he's done great things at Waipahu High School. They've gotten all these accolades. We want great things in our schools throughout the state. His success is all of our success. Uh, and we just hope that we would be able to have these conversations, collaborate and talk more. You know, we know that all the complex areas are different. Of course, it's one statewide system, but have you seen disparities island to island? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what's happening, not only on Oahu, but also on the neighbor islands as well? There are some uh, issues that need to be addressed in the island to island. For example, the Big Island has had a severe bus driver shortage uh, to the point where they had to basically pay parents to be able to bring their children to school if you couldn't bust them in. Uh, that's not necessarily something that's happening, especially in urban Oahu or at my school at McKinley, we just give out bus passes, right, to students and they use the city bus. Um, there are other issues that would need to be addressed. And I know that our complex area superintendents as well are working on those things. Uh, for example, in Hilo, I think they're trying to figure out how can we do more community vaccinations when the vaccination becomes available for five to 11 year olds. In other schools, they're like, well, maybe we can do it in our schools and ourselves. Uh, for that, it's a matter of staffing uh, capabilities and things like that. You know, you've been on the job now for a few months. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how these last few months have been for you. Uh, what are some of the things that you've learned uh, while being in this role and maybe something that surprised you that you didn't initially think uh, you would really be involved in given uh, you know what you've had to go through in the past three months? You know, I love representing teachers. I love the teaching profession. I love everyone who wants to become a teacher and will stay a teacher. I don't love that we lose half of the teachers that start within five years. I don't even know if that statistic has reduced from five years. Uh, and I love representing teachers and making sure that our, our viewpoints are heard and because we have something to say. We're professionals and sometimes we're not treated as professionals. Um, and I will continue to advocate on behalf of our teachers because ultimately whatever we can make better will make it better for all of our students. And that is what we need, strong public schools uh, and students who have something to look forward to, some of a brighter future. Okay, Osa Tui Jr., thank you so much for being with us this morning. We really appreciate your time. We understand that you'll be having that meeting on the 24th, uh, and undoubtedly we will have you on after that to talk about the results of that. Mahalo. Happy Aloha Friday. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thank you. Aloha. Well, they did get their hearing and that is big, that is a, you know, that is progress for the teachers from their standpoint to meet in front of the Labor Relations Board to voice their concerns. Uh, he did say that they want a memorandum of understanding uh, with the Department of Education, especially when it comes to these COVID protocols. Uh, he's expressing a lot of concerns just about, you know, discrepancies school to school that one school or even one classroom has one set of protocols while another you know another school or classroom might have a different set of protocols that's very confusing for teachers uh and they don't necessarily have a roadmap as to what to do when they have a positive case in their classroom so we'll have to see what comes out of their meeting on a broader level he he did bring up quite a few concerns and the teacher shortage really does sound like it's having an impact 
Yeah, hearing the uh, rate in which people, uh, teachers are deciding to retire. And as he mentioned, not necessarily waiting to the end of that calendar school year, but simply retiring when they reach the qualifications of age uh, to do so. A lot of them are just deciding that they've had enough and going in on that retirement plan and uh, thus leaving a gap for those who are currently still in the uh, structure of trying to fill in some of the gaps where the teachers are retiring. Uh, combine that with the already shortfall of teachers and the shortage of teachers, I should say, I should say uh, continue to be a, a major issue. But really, we're hearing uh, the frustrations from the teachers uh, and, and the discrepancies that we sense overall. But, you know, we talk to lawmakers, we talk to uh, the superintendent in the past as well, and hearing that there are certain things in place that they say that are helping to keep the schools safe. But hearing from, uh, you know, the, the HSCA this morning, clearly a different story of what is really happening on the ground there. Yeah, big disconnect. And actually, we're going to address that disconnect because on Monday, we do have Superintendent Keith Hayashi as our guest. So we will be bringing some of these questions to him to ask about, you know, why why it feels like there is such a difference there. Uh, we look forward to hearing from him. One silver lining in all of this is that um, we, by and large, have not seen large outbreaks at schools. As we mentioned, there is a, a case uh, mentioned in the paper today that was fairly severe, um, but we did not see the widespread in schools that a lot of people were worried about. So that is one good thing. But it does sound like it must be very confusing for teachers to have protocols uh, at one, one complex area that are different from another. So we'll be talking about that with Keith Hayashi. We do, of course, want to remind you to stay safe. It is Halloween weekend and uh, there are going to be kids out there. So watch out for those pedestrians and uh, wear your masks. And we look forward to seeing all the costumes. I, I love I love seeing Facebook around this time of year because it's just fun to see all the kids that are all dressed up. Are you dressing up, Yenji? <laughs> I'm not. I got I got no. Nala and Simba at home. We do have some costumes, but I don't <laughs> think my husband and I are actually going to do it. What about you? Uh, I, I'm not. I actually have to work this weekend. So and I, it's not a Halloween. I, I'll dress up as a news anchor. And that's what I always say every year. <laughs> something I can pull off fairly well. <laughs> all right. Well, we wish all of you a safe and happy weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday, 1030 with Superintendent Keith Hayashi. Aloha. We'll see you then. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.